All right, here we go. Let's open our Bibles to Ephesians. If you need a copy of God's Word, in the back of the pew there, there should be a Bible. And, and if you need a Bible, we would love for you to take that one. Let's go to Ephesians. So in the middle of the Bible, you find Psalms. And so start heading towards the end of the book, the back of the Bible. You'll find the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. When you get to Galatians, you're getting close. Ephesians is the very next letter. And then Philippians. If you get to Philippians, back up one letter. Ephesians chapter 6. So go to the last chapter of that letter. We're in a series of sermons called Stand. And and what we're doing is taking that final farewell of Paul, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10, and moving forward as Paul gives this theme of stand, stand firm, stand against the schemes of the devil, withstand the devil in in the evil day, stand firm, therefore stand, I mean over and over again, Paul is emphasizing stand. When he opens verse 10, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Okay, that's what we're supposed to do. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How do we do that? Right? Verse 12 or verse 11, put on the whole armor of God. And why does it have to be the armor of God? Well, that's because verse 13 or verse 12, it is not a physical battle. This is not a battle with flesh and blood. This is a battle with principalities, powers, evil forces. This is a spiritual battle, so it must be the armor of God. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God. And then when you get to verse 14, Paul starts breaking down then these pieces of armor. What is the whole armor of God? And that's where we've been the last two Sundays. So this Sunday, or last Sunday, and now today... Last Sunday, we looked at the belt of truth. We understood that the belt of truth is not just a belt like what I'm wearing this morning, but something that would cover the whole stomach and loins area, the whole part of the lower back. It was a belt of truth. And we understood what truth meant. Truth meant understanding who God really is. Not the God of our making, not any idol, not the God that we think, well, this will bring me happiness, this will bring me joy, but the God of the scripture, the God that the Bible talks about, the God that is fully and completely expressed in the person of Jesus Christ. That is truth, and that's the belt of truth. In order to stand firm, we first have to have the belt of truth. This morning, I want us to go on to the next two pieces. Let's look at that. We're going to be looking at the end of chapter, of chapter 6, verse 14, the end of verse 14, and then the first part of verse 15. All right, here we go. Ephesians 6, 14b. Let's start at 14a. Stand therefore. Having fastened on the belt of truth, and here we go for this morning, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And then also this morning, let's take this. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. The belt of truth is where we start. Then the breastplate of righteousness And as shoes, the readiness that is given by the gospel of peace. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we need you. And so, Lord, we pray for the spirit anointing that could only come from you in this service. Father, we pray that lives would be changed. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our minds and our hearts. That, Lord, we would listen to you. 
Lord, that we would hear the word of God and receive it, and then, Lord, we would do it. Whatever you tell us to do today, Mary's very instruction to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Lord, we pray that this morning. Father, I pray that you would speak through me. Lord, we pray for your anointing on this message. And Father, thank you for the word of God. It is truth. It is perfect. Thank you, Father. May you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord, we pray for someone to be saved. We pray for recommitted lives. Lord, that the altar would be filled with people praying. Lord, we pray that you would call people here and call us out. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we go into thinking about spiritual warfare, I want to I open because, uh, with this because we really have got to get in our minds how important this whole armor of God is. And so when we think about Satan and his schemes, we, we first need to go back to the New Testament and understand that when Jesus was driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, the scripture says that Satan tempted him three times. First of all, Jesus was extremely hungry. Satan tempted him with, if you are the son of God, take these stones and turn them into bread so that you can have something to eat. It was a temptation to the flesh and our flesh does tempt us. Our flesh desires those things that bring fleshly pleasures, and so we have those temptations. Then Satan took him up to the pinnacle of the temple and to a high place, and the holy city was right there, and everyone was watching. And Satan took him to the top of the temple and said, throw yourself down, and all the angels will snatch you up, the scripture says, and everyone will see that you are who you say you are, and so do this in front of the whole world. And it shows us that there are temptations from the world. The world wants us to conform to what they, how they want us to act, and so there are temptations from the world, temptations from the flesh, temptations from the world. And then Satan says that Satan took him to a high place, a high mountain, showed him all the world, all the the lands, and said, if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give you all this. And it is a truth that Satan is at work against us. Satan tempts us to follow him. All right, so you have temptations from the flesh, temptations from the world, temptations from Satan. Here's the danger. The danger is in thinking, well, that was 2,000 years ago. Satan really doesn't do that anymore. I mean, Satan doesn't really show up and, and just right there in front of us tempt us. And we have to understand, yes, he does. The same Satan that was tempting Jesus, the same Satan who's tempting us now. As we see Satan go through, or as we see Jesus go through his earthly ministry, we see a, the visible manifestation of Satan in a demon-possessed man who's in a cemetery and chains can't even hold him. And he's with no clothes on and, and he's screaming and in terror and all that. And we say, well, yeah, see, that, that type of stuff doesn't happen anymore. But friends, it does. The same Satan is at work then, the same Satan at work now. In the Garden of Gethsemane, whenever you had the subtle temptation, the scheming of Satan. Look, look there's, there's got to be another way. There has got to be another way. And so we hear Jesus praying, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But he stood firm when he said, but not my will, but thine be done. 
Satan's subtlety in scheming, his subtleties in manipulation are present then and they are present right now. Folks, I want you to know it's the same Satan that is at work. What, the, what, the, what happens in our modern sensibilities is we think, well, yeah, I understand that that was the way it was back then, but it doesn't happen that way now. And so we have this pleasantness about us and this desire that we see everyone, well, everyone's basically good people, and that's exactly what Satan wants us to think. Basically, we're all just wonderful people, and every once in a while, we might make a slight error, but other than that, we're really good people. And that's not the truth. Jeremiah 17 says, our hearts are deceitful and beyond cure. Who can understand it? We have to understand that we are sinful people, and Satan is at work. And so whenever we start getting lulled to sleep, I want us to remember that that may be the most dangerous time of Satan in your life. When everything is feeling really comfortable and I'm kind of, everything's going okay, I'm doing okay on my own. Boy, that's a dangerous time. This is the 80th year, 80th year, 80th anniversary since C.S. Lewis God gave him the idea of writing the book, The Screwtape Letters. And the, the book was written because C.S. Lewis wanted people to understand how subtle Satan is and how he manipulates. And so I want you to see a quote from that book, The Screwtape Letters. Listen to what C.S. Lewis wrote. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. Just drifting along in life thinking, yeah, that stuff of Satan, that's from long ago, but that doesn't happen anymore. But friends, it does. And so this morning, may we wake up to what Satan is trying to do. May we stand firm against the schemes of the devil. May we be putting on every day the whole armor of God. And it's because there are two things that we really desire in life. One is we want to do the right thing. We really do, whenever we're having a decision about a job, man, I wish I knew what was the right thing to do. And we want there to be peace. But see, what the trouble is, the battle is that there's something different inside of me. I have this fleshly old man in me who's warring against that. And so I want to do the right thing in some respects. And in some respects, I want to go my own way. And so we need right and we need peace. I was talking with a mom not too long ago who was about her son desiring for her children to obey the Lord. I want my kids to do the right thing, but sometimes whenever I'm focusing in on them doing the right thing, it's causing conflict, and so there's no peace. You see, we want both. We want right, and we want peace. Well, this morning, we're going to be looking at two pieces of armor, the breastplate of right, the breastplate of righteousness, and shoes that are shod, 
feet that are shod with the readiness given by the gospel of peace. All right, so let's focus in then on these two things. What do we mean by a breastplate? Well, first of all, last week we left off at the belt of truth, and we understood that the belt of truth really started underneath the rib cage and went right here to about the top of the thigh. That whole area was covered by the belt. Well, this morning now Paul is saying, put on the breastplate of righteousness, this that's covering the most vital organ, brain, and brain is certainly a vital organ, but the heart. So you have a breastplate of righteousness and how important that is. But let's understand this issue of righteousness. And so in order for us to understand the breastplate of righteousness, I want you to hear something. I think a lot of times we view Paul writing this letter from prison. And we, we, we see a Roman soldier standing there possibly in the prison. And so Paul is drawing all this imagery of the armor of God from a soldier. I think in some cases that's true, but I want you to look at a passage of scripture as we talk about the breastplate of righteousness. This comes out of Isaiah, which is in the Old Testament. Isaiah 59, this is talking about God. God saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. So God is looking for someone who could intercede on behalf of man and he doesn't find anyone. And so what does God do? Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. Who's that sound like? Well, it sounds just like Jesus. You see, God looked around and there was no one who would intercede. So God himself... His righteousness upheld him. He put on the breastplate of righteousness. He put on the helmet of salvation and he interceded for us. He came in the person of Jesus Christ. All right, so whenever we understand then this breastplate of righteousness, this is from of old. Well, then that start helps, helps, helping us to understand what is it then about this breastplate of righteousness Well, whenever we read that verse of Scripture, we understand that God himself, his character is righteous and his conduct is righteous. Who God is, a very attribute of God is righteousness. But God is not just righteous as an attribute. The way God acts is always right. God always does that which is good, perfect, pure, and true. And so God is righteous and God does righteous. All right, so now here we go. We're to put on the breastplate of righteousness. Well, if we think about ourselves, we understand that God's character is righteous and God's conduct is righteous. But when I think about me, well, my character is not righteous. My conduct is not righteous. And so if I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness, I have to understand this has got to be God's righteousness that changes me. It can't be a righteousness of my own. It can't be me saying, okay, I, I get what the preacher's saying. I just need to go out and do my best to be good. And that's what we say to our kids before they leave the house. Now, listen, you be good today. You do good, do something right, 
Be, be kind. But here's what the great Scottish theologian Alexander McLaren said. Alexander McLaren said, moral teaching without gospel preaching is little better than a waste of breath. Moral teaching without gospel preaching. I can say to myself all day long, you need to do good. Whenever you walk into that meeting, you need to keep your mouth shut this time. But if my heart is not changed, it's not going to work. I've got to have a heart of righteousness. So how do I get it? If you're taking notes, write down this theological word. It's called imputed. Imputed. And what that means is, the word imputed means to ascribe to something that which is derived from somewhere else. You see, I'm not righteous in and of myself, but God is. His character, his conduct are righteous. And so I have to have the righteousness of God that comes into me and changes my heart. I've got to be clothed in his righteousness. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, look at this verse of scripture. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want you to picture a bank account. And under the name of God, it says perfect, righteous, And then under my name, it says sin, condemnation, evil. But when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says God made him who knew no sin to take my sin and put it on his account so that he would take his righteousness and put it on my account. I am righteous. And you say, oh, you mean you've done that many good things that you're right? No, I'm not righteous based upon my works. I'm righteous because Jesus Christ died for me and his blood covers me. I've put my faith in his salvation. God is the only one who can forgive me of my sins. And so I am confident today that I'm going to go be with the Lord. And again, if you're saying, well, you're confident because you're a preacher. No, I'm not confident because I'm a preacher. Well, you're confident because you have to act good because you're a pastor. That's not what my confidence is in. My confidence is in the blood of Jesus Christ. He gave his life for me, and I've put my faith in him. Lord, please save me. You're the only one who can save me. Forgive me of all my sins. And now I'm clothed in his righteousness. My heart is changed. Praise the Lord. Every morning when we all get up, there's a certain point at which, you know, we take care of all the things that we need to take care of. And then at some point, we've got to get dressed. Aren't we thankful for that? And we get dressed for a couple of reasons. One is we need to be presentable to others. Isn't that right? You've got to be presentable to others. And so every morning, if you drive by my house like around 640, 645, my wife and I still take the paper and I put on this old red flannel quilted, it's quilted on the inside, 
shirt, kind of a lumberjack looking thing. And boy, it's old. The sleeves are rolled up. It's tattered. And then I put on this another shade of red, like sweatpant type thing. But they have pictures of penguins all over them. I mean, it's horrible. The red flannel and the red, they totally clash. And so I walk out of the house into the driveway, hoping that no one sees me because I'm not presentable to others. I always want to avoid the question once I get dressed from my wife, is that what you're wearing? It's because if you think about it, that's more of a statement than a question. The statement being, that's not what you're wearing. It comes in the form of a question, is that what you're wearing? That's not what she means. And I want to avoid that. It's similar to the haircut statement, which is more of a question. The haircut statement is, you got your haircut, which is really more of the question, what happened? (laughs) Did you pay for that? So one's a question, is that what you're wearing, which is really more of a statement. Then there's a statement that's really more of a question. I want to avoid that, so I want to dress in a way that is presentable to others. Did you know that someday you will stand before God? And friend, the only way that you will be presentable before God is if you're clothed in the righteousness of his son. If you're standing there saying, Lord, I hope I've done enough good in my life. I hope I've got on some good clothes. I will be forever separated from God. But instead, he gave his only begotten son. Friend, if you can stand before God on your own, then why did Jesus die? The Bible says it was completely in vain for Jesus to die if you can stand before God on your own. But instead, his righteousness is imputed to me. Now, hang on. Here's the second subpoint, So that that righteousness can then be imparted to others. God is not only righteous, but he also does righteous. And so when God changes me, when my heart is now made righteous by him, it ought to exhibit itself in a righteousness before others. I have been forgiven. Therefore, I need to walk in forgiveness and forgive others. I have been loved unconditionally by God. Therefore, I need to walk in love and show that love to others. I have been set free by Jesus Christ. Therefore, I need to walk in that freedom and not go back under the bondage of sin. You see, the character has got to make the conduct. And it is only when I'm made righteous by God, imputed righteousness, ascribed to me, that thou that righteousness can be imparted to others. It's why, look back at 4.1, same letter, Ephesians, look at 4.1. You may just have to turn a page there. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 1. Paul writes these words. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. Okay, it's impossible for us to walk in humility unless the God of humility, Jesus Christ, has changed my life. Now I can walk in humility It's impossible for me to be gentle 
unless the God of gentleness changes my heart and now I can be gentle to others. It's impossible for me to be patient on my own as much as we try to say to ourselves, okay, be patient, be patient, be patient. It doesn't work unless the God of patience is flowing through me. And so that's the breastplate of righteousness. The only way that I can stand against the schemes of the devil is if I put on the breastplate of righteousness, which means the righteousness of God changed me on the inside and then in that power, in that strength, displaying that same righteousness to others, walking righteously before a lost world. That is the breastplate of righteousness. Ephesians 5.1 sums it up. We looked at 4.1, now look at 5.1. Paul writes, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Friends, that's the breastplate of righteousness. And please hear me. If you're saying, okay, what what the pastor was saying there is we've got to be saved. Absolutely, that's where it starts. But folks, the breastplate of righteousness is not just being saved and then saying, well, so now I can go back to acting however I want to. That's not salvation. Salvation is a changed heart resulting in a changed life. Man, a, a, a guy I was talking with this past week and, and I know many of you hear this same thing thrown so many times. You know how many hypocrites there are at your church? And listen, please know he's also talking about me. Because all of us act hypocritical at times. But this, this guy will say, listen, I could go to your church and I could sit on a certain row and I could point out, oh, yeah, I know that guy. I know what he does. And, and that guy over there, I know what he does. I know what he does. I know what he... And so what we have to understand is I need to not only trust Christ as Savior, but, boy, I've got to walk in it. And when I mess up, and I will mess up, Confessing that sin before God and experiencing his forgiveness, repenting of that, Lord, I don't want to go back there ever again, and getting back on the path of righteousness. That is putting on the breastplate of righteousness. That is what will enable us to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so then Paul goes from, isn't this interesting? He goes from the breastplate of righteousness I mean, it starts with the belt of truth, having a right view of God, a right view of who I am in God. That is truth. Then the right standing before God, resulting in right conduct before God. We get that belt, breastplate, then he goes to shoes. What an interesting turn that is. Until we understand that, again, the whole issue is standing The whole issue is standing firm, which means I better have a great foundation if I'm going to do this. And so my foundation is the truth of who God is. The foundation is the righteousness of a right standing before God, right conduct before others. And when I have that type of foundation, man, then my feet can start being ready. Listen, a readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
Now, boy, this is probably the most difficult piece of armor for us to fully understand. And so I really need you to stay in here with me. Feet that have the right kind of shoes on them. And the right kind of shoes are a readiness that's given by the gospel of peace. And so for me to understand it, I've got to use an illustration and, and really, because you remember, before you can teach something to others, you better be able to understand it. And so here's how it came to me. And so a boy, a little boy in our church, he's, I've already forgotten, he's three years old, four. He's four, three. Three years old. His name is Madden. Madden West, Jordan and Carlier's folks. And so they were telling me that here recently when we had that snow, you remember it was like three or four inches of snow. Okay, so Madden, being a three-year-old, man, he can't wait to go out into the snow. He was ready to go out into the snow. Here's the problem. He didn't have any shoes on. But as a three-year-old, you're not fully understanding the implications of my feet aren't ready. And so he says to his folks, I want to go outside. Okay, you have to put on your shoes first. He balked. What is it with kids and shoes? Isn't that the truth? One time on vacation, summer vacation, I got in the car wearing shoes. It was now time for us to stop and eat lunch. My dad always said before we stopped, kids, comb your hair and put on your shoes. We're getting ready to stop. I couldn't find my shoes. How do you lose a shoe inside a car? To this day, I don't know where that shoe is. <laughs> Kids in shoes. He balked. I don't want to put on shoes. Madden, you need to put on shoes. No, 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 I don't need shoes. Madden, you've got to put on shoes before you go outside in the snow. No, 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 I don't need shoes. Okay, go ahead. He runs out of the house and into the snow, and can you imagine the pins and needles that are sticking in the bottom of his feet as he's standing there on snow in bare feet? And how quickly then he turned around to get back inside. Friends, listen, he was ready in the sense of, this is what I want to do. I'm going to go do it the way I want to do it. He was ready, but his feet weren't ready because he was in conflict with the ones who loved him. The ones who loved him and who were authority in over him were saying, you're not ready until you have the gospel of peace. Until you're at peace, you're not ready. That's what the scripture means here. We can have on the belt of truth. We can have on the breastplate of righteousness. And we can say, okay, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to just defeat a whole bunch of lost people. And I'm going to go tell them what for. And I, okay, we're not ready. Because this is a readiness given by the gospel of peace. Friends, please hear, please hear this. You're not ready to stand against the devil until you are at peace with God. And a lot of times we war against him. A sin in our life that we're holding back, an area of our heart that we're saying, well, I, I know, but I, 
and we're warring with God and we're not at peace. And we can say, oh, no, 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 I'm, I'm ready to go. We're not ready until it's a readiness that's on our feet that's given by the gospel of peace. When I'm at peace in my heart, I see clearly what I am to do and where I am to go when I'm at peace with God. But when I'm warring with God, I'm not clear about where I should go and what I should do. But here's another reason why it's a readiness given by the gospel of peace. Because, friends, isn't it interesting that in the midst of all this battle talk, of all this imagery of war and armor, Paul brings up peace. Put on the armor of God, shoes that are the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And it's because, friend, friends, listen, the goal here is not conquest. The goal here is not defeating. The goal here is peace. The goal is not winning an argument with someone. The goal is not to have a drop the mic moment where, boy, I put them in their place. The goal is the gospel of peace. I want you to back up in your Bible. No, no, no. Go forward about four pages. Look at Colossians. I want you to see a passage of Scripture. You're going to see it on the screen, but, but if, if it's just a few pages. Colossians chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Look at it. Either on your Bible, in your Bible, on the screen. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. As we go through life, the scripture doesn't tell us to answer every question. The, the scripture tells us how you ought to answer each person. Because behind every question is a questioner. It's someone who is desiring peace, and they're trying to figure out where to find it. The goal is not just answering the question. The goal is not winning an argument. The goal is that we are representing the God who is offering the terms for peace. Here's what peace looks like. It is tearing down the wall of hostility that is between man and God, and Jesus Christ did that. He himself is our peace. And so, friends, when you're ready, you're ready because your heart is at peace and you understand the goal is peace. We want people to be reconciled to God. And when that is in my mind, when that's my goal, then I'm not writing something on social media. Oh boy, if, if I write this, they'll go, oh wow, man, that's a great argument. Our goal is not to win an argument. The goal is to see a person come to peace with Jesus Christ. That's what we're after. And when that's my goal now, I'm ready. Now I am ready to stand against the schemes of the devil. In order to stand firm, you've got to have the right surface beneath your feet. You've got to have something solid to stand on. 
and you've got to have on the right shoes. Or we have got the foundation of Jesus Christ. We have the foundation of the perfect word of God to stand on. But I've got to make sure my shoes are the gospel of peace. Boy, our world needs peace. There is so much war, so much division, so much conflict. Friends, this above all else is the hour for people to know peace. And so it uh, has also been roughly 80 years since Winston Churchill made a statement. And boy, we need to hear this because it is in the midst of World War II when the Germans had advanced against France and it was a disaster for the French. Things were not going well at all. The people of England were discouraged. Germany looked like it was a force that there's no way anyone's going to be able to stand up against them. Then Winston Churchill said this. What General Wagen called the Battle of France is over. I expect that the Battle of Britain is about to begin. Upon this battle depends the survival of Christian civilization. Upon it depends our own British life and the long continuity of our institutions and our empire. The whole fury and might of the enemy must very soon be turned upon us. Hitler knows that he will have to break us in this island or lose the war. If we can stand up to him, all Europe may be free and the life of the world may move forward into broad sunlit uplands. But if we fail then the whole world, including the United States, including all that we have known and cared for, will sink into the abyss of a new dark age made more sinister and perhaps more protracted by the lights of perverted science. Let us, therefore, brace ourselves to our duties and so bear ourselves that if the British Empire and its commonwealth last for a thousand years, men will still say this was their finest hour. This is the hour, friends. This is when we have got to stand because Satan is active. And what will happen in our generation, what will happen in our marriages, what will happen in our families, what will happen to our kids is if we are willing to say right now, I want the righteousness of God. I've got to be changed. And then, Lord, I want to walk in that. Lord, I need my feet to be ready. And the only way I'm going to be ready is if, Lord, it's the gospel of peace. My heart at peace with God. And, Lord, I'm desiring peace in others. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, may the Holy Spirit change us right now. Lord, may we so desire to do your will that, Lord, whatever it takes... Lord, you're going to be calling some out to stand right now and to move forward. Lord, I pray for someone this morning to be saved. I pray for a heart to be changed before you, to be recommitted to you. 
Lord, thank you for the one that we added in at the 8 o'clock. And Lord, bring people again and call us out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stand with me.